Please be seated. That gospel reading seemed to me a summary, really, of the Christian life. If we uh, obey Jesus' commands, then that's what our lives will be like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Paul and all he said to Timothy. And we pray, Lord, that these words now might be your words and that your Holy Spirit might speak to our hearts. Amen. Well, that's our text for this morning. Uh, Just uh, a short couple of verses out of uh, 2 Timothy 4, the last chapter of 2 Timothy. Well, it's been a fantastic week, hasn't it? It's been a fantastic week. I hope you've all enjoyed it as much as I have. I don't know what your favourites are. Um, I think Mo Farrow comes close for my, as does the cycling and uh, other things. But it's been a great, uh, great festival for us, hasn't it, here in our country. It's made us feel really good as a nation. It all seems to have worked. And it's been a great backdrop to these three sermons that we are having in August, in this summer period, concerning crowns. Elizabeth, if you were here last week, brought to us Paul's teaching concerning running the race of life and winning the crown of victory, living faithfully our Christian lives as shown by the metaphor of the athletic race and games in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And of course, Elizabeth brought to us also the examples that we've been seeing on our screens. And again, last night, if you were watching that uh, race with Mo Farrell, what a wonderful race. And it does illustrate quite clearly, in some extent, uh, the Christian life that we have in front of us. And it's uh, in today's reading, found in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, we have another crown, the crown of righteousness. So please turn in your Bibles, if you've closed them, to uh, page 1197. But I would like to start in chapter 4, looking at verses 1 to 5, because Paul expects to die soon. And uh, these are his last instructions to Timothy. Paul tells Timothy of the judgment of God of the living and the dead. Be aware of this, he is saying. And therefore, Timothy, keep preaching the word of God. And in that preaching, patiently correct, rebuke and encourage with your good teaching. Well, why should he do this? Well, because Paul states of the judgment of God. And there will come a time when people will refuse to listen to you. They will reject the truth. They will chase after myths and uh, strange sayings. Surely something similar what we'd recognise in our society today. And because of this situation, Paul instructs Timothy to keep a clear mind. He shouldn't be surprised by suffering, and he shouldn't be scared of it. But keep on telling the good news to all. So there's real encouragement to Timothy in these last instructions. And this is the context of the next few verses where Paul refers to his position that he's nearing the the time of his death. 
The Roman Emperor, Nero, had already imprisoned Paul and passed judgment on him. And now Paul expects that the Roman Emperor will convict him and kill him. And as I was thinking and praying and studying about this, I wondered, well, how would we react if we were in a similar position? Most of us, of course, won't know of our impending death. Yes, we're all going to die unless Jesus returns a second time before that event. And if this doesn't happen, then we can be sure that at some point in time, we are going to die. What would our last thoughts be about the life that we have lived? And what would we say to those that we know and love? Well, here in these verses 6 to 8, we see Paul's statement to his friend and mentor, Timothy. So let's have a look at these verses 6 to 8 then, in the context of the nature of the Christian life as shown by Paul. Three points this morning. Paul's life is an offering, he pers- the pursuit of faithfulness and righteousness, and the reward of the crown of righteousness. So firstly then, an offering. An offering. We read that Paul's life was being poured out in verse 6 as an offering to God an act of worship. Now, in case you think this is a one-off, it certainly isn't in Paul's writing. We see this again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, where Paul is writing to the Philippian Christians. He says this, But I will rejoice, even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. Paul emphasises the need for Christian lives to be pure, clean and innocent, that they should be an offering given to God. Now, of course, an offering is something that's given to a higher being. The person giving the offering loses all rights over that being offered and given to God. The person giving it loses their rights over it. And Paul is saying here that he has lost his rights over his life. His life was given over to God. There was no room here for self or self-interest. And of course, this is totally opposite that of the world's viewpoint that sets itself as the most important thing in the world. Paul is also emphasising to Timothy that this sacrifice of his life It's not a sad event, but rather it's a triumphal departure into a new era when he will be released from present restrictions because he knows that death is near. And again, as I was considering this, I wondered, how does this compare to myself? How does this compare to us? Is my life an offering to God? Are our lives an offering to God? Are they free of self-interest in all we do? And do we have a similar view to Paul's concerning death? Paul is not scared of death, but rather rejoices that he will join Jesus at his return. So then, how should Christians lead their lives, according to Paul? Well, as an offering to God, given to him in totality. But it will be a battle, and it needs perseverance. And so the second point is, from the short passage, is the perseverance, the need to keep on battling away to finish the race. Now we've seen 
incredible examples of this, haven't we, in the athletics and the other uh, Olympic activities. To battle on, to finish the race, to complete the task in hand. And Paul had already written to Timothy in his first letter of 1 Timothy 6 to pursue righteousness, to pursue a godly life, to pursue faith, to fight the good fight, to hold tight to eternal life and to obey this command. And Paul continues in our passage this morning in verse 7, I press on to perfection. I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Now, the important point here is that Paul doesn't claim to have won the race. He doesn't claim that at all. But he has stayed the course. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. Now, of course, in our Olympics, you know, the important thing is winning the race. It only seems to account if you come first, second or third. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, carry on and finish the race. Even if you come last, you've finished the race. And I think for us, that's the important point. We don't have to win the race of life. We don't have to be perfect, because none is perfect. But we do need to keep the faith right to the end. And this means, of course, through the good times when we can all rejoice, but also through the bad times. Last week, Elizabeth stated how she had found help in maintaining the race through the quiet time she spends with God, through reading the Bible, through prayer and meditation, as well as being encouraged by others. And Paul is stating here that we need to keep on. And to do this, we need encouragement, don't we, from other Christians. I've been privileged in the last couple of weeks. I've spent a week in Keswick at the Keswick Convention. And there we sang the praises of God together. 4,000 Christians united together. What an encouragement. I heard the word of God expounded uh, very well. What an encouragement. But we also need to spend time alone with God, studying the teachings of Jesus And as I wondered, as I thought about this, I wondered, have we been faithful to what he teaches and requires of us? It's a time, isn't it, for honesty as we consider our own lives. But it was because of his lifestyle, declared Paul, that led him to the next statement in verse 8. The prize awaits him, the crown of righteousness. In verse 8, Paul is stating what's in store for him in the future, the crown. Now, a crown, of course, is a victory, is a symbol of victory and reward. It's a symbol of power and authority, given to those who hold positions of power or achievement. In Paul's time in the Roman athletic games, the laurel wreath would have been given to each winner of the race or an event. But it was also a symbol, the crown was also a symbol of honour and triumph, a coveted prize. The wreath of honour was also given to loyal subjects by oriental sovereigns for services rendered. And this is the real meaning of what Paul speaks of here. His crown was of righteousness. This crown of righteousness was the result of his pleasing the Lord, doing the will of Jesus. And so Paul will receive the crown of righteousness. 
Now, what's the word righteousness actually mean? Well, according to the dictionary, it means in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin, morally right or justifiable. But we might ask ourselves, well, how can a man like Paul, who consented and acted in the persecution of new Christians, be free from the guilt of sin? Well, we see the answer to this in his writings in Romans 4, which says a lot about righteousness. Verse 24 of Romans 4 says, We are counted as righteous if we believe in him, have faith in Jesus and his death on the cross to take the punishment for our sin. And it's Jesus who makes us righteous by his death on the cross. That's what we've come to celebrate this morning, of course, at communion. When Paul dies, what he's saying here is that he will inherit this righteousness as expressed in the crown because of Jesus' death on the cross and his perseverance in the fight, in the race, in the life that he has lived. Paul has persevered in faith. His beliefs have been acted out in what he has done. And he wants to encourage Timothy in this. So this is a challenge to Timothy but also an encouragement to him. So this should be a challenge and encouragement to us too, to keep on pursuing our calling. Timothy is to preach the word. Timothy is to maintain his faith. Because what Paul is saying is, you too will receive this gift, this laurel, this crown. That's what Paul is declaring. And he also declares, Paul declares in verse 8, that this applies to all those who have longed for Jesus' return. And they will also receive this crown. And so, of course, by implication, that is what we can receive too, if we follow Paul's instructions. We live the life of obedience and offering to God, doing what Jesus wants, using our gifts for his service, maintaining our faith. It will be a battle as it was for Paul, fighting the good fight. But it is important as we look at Paul's life, we see it for what it is as an example of Christian living. It was a life that was committed. It was a life that was single-minded, preaching the good news of salvation to the people of his world. But it was a life that wasn't long-lived. He didn't live to be a hundred or anything like that. He didn't live in luxury. We read in verse 10 and verse 14 of this chapter that his friends deserted him. Demas, he says, has deserted me because he loves things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Alexander the coppersmith had done him much harm and, of course, Nero had judged him. Now, of course, this life of Paul's is not the type of life that our world thinks of as a success. The pictures that we receive of success usually include being successful in some ways. Think of the athletes in the London Games, or the people that have great wealth, nice houses, good friends, family, a secure life that is materially comfortable. That's the picture that we receive today subconsciously through our media and sometimes even through Christian teaching. Think of the prosperity gospel which is taught in some places. But even if we don't subscribe to a prosperity gospel, do we inadvertently push success, push wealth, push the security of a good job to our young people? 
They've got to do well. They've got to get good results. They've got to get a good job. Why? That's the Christian question. Why have they got to do that? Is it so that their lives can be a sacrifice, poured out to God, pursuing righteousness? Well, Paul is saying here to Timothy and the young church that that is what their lives should be. His life was a sacrifice to God. And that's the challenge to us this morning, I think. Is my life a sacrifice to God? The promise that Jesus has for all mankind is that a life of faith will lead to a crown of righteousness. But lastly, note the timing of this statement in verse 8. Paul is stating that the crown of righteousness hasn't been given to him yet while he's alive. No, he's going to receive it in the future when Jesus returns again. And Paul lives in the reality of Jesus returning. He expects it without going into any detail concerning the nature of the return or when it will happen. Now, of course, we've got the benefit of the whole Bible in front of us. And we do have a few biblical references to the return of Jesus a second time. There are three in the Gospels which record Jesus' words concerning a second return. But the common point in all of these texts is that Jesus will return. But we don't know when or how. And we read in Revelation 20 verse 14 that all will be judged after this event. So what difference does it make? And why did Paul include it in this statement? Well, I think he included it in this statement to give assurance to Timothy, to show the completeness of his life, to show Timothy the hope of salvation includes not just this life, but that of eternity, which can only happen after the return of Jesus and judgment. And that's the gospel message that should encourage us to continue in the race, to give our lives as an offering to God. I don't know if you uh, watched uh, Mo Farrow last night, but uh, on a short interview afterwards, he was asked, what's the, uh, what's the reason for success? And he said, hard work. Graft, I think was the word he actually used. He said, graft. Now, obviously, he's got a a lot of talent as well, but he made the point it was graft that brought him success. And I think this is the message here, isn't it? This is the encouragement for us this morning. Yes, there will be tough times if we're offering our lives to God. There may well not be the material blessings that some people have. We may be put into confrontation with authorities. We may stand out different to our community and our peer group. In fact, we must if we're following Jesus. But the reward for that perseverance is eternal life with Jesus forever. Now, how can we get a full enough picture of what this will be like? Well, if you look in uh, Revelation, John writes these great visions he has concerning the nature of of the return of Jesus. Reality, of course, may not be quite like visions, but we can be sure that the event will happen at some point. So in conclusion then, Paul has given a final instruction to Timothy to keep his head in all situations, to keep on with preaching and evangelism, and you will have a reward, he says, as I do. 
And we too can be challenged, can't we, by this, to keep on striving, keep on fighting the good fight, running the race, being faithful within our lives, whatever Jesus calls each one of us individually to do. Because Jesus promises us eternity with him through faith in his death on the cross to take the punishment of our sins. Amen.